right. Welcome, everybody, to uh, the 10 Days Pentecost Teaching Hour. Um, yeah, we are, I think we are halfway through. This is the halfway point today. So we've completed five days and five more to go. Um, it's just been awesome to be able to pray together like this uh, from around the nations. Um, hear the, hearing the different languages um, being spoken. Uh, all together glorifying God. Sounds like Pentecost, right? And um, and so we're just grateful for that. We are using this just to kind of reiterate our purpose. We're using this as a moment of encounter for you personally, but we're also using it as just an equipping time for our fall 10 days, which is from September 25th, October 5th. Last year, we had somewhere between 200 and 350 gatherings around the globe 10-day prayer gatherings, independently organized um, in the spirit of John 17, unity, seeing cities come together to seek God, seeing people take time off from work for 10 days to stop and just seek the Lord with fasting and prayer. And so that's that's what's coming up this year. And this is kind of like a, 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 a taste and see experience, but also a time to equip us around some of the themes for 10 days. Thanks, Jonathan. Uh, wow, praise God. I am honored um, that, well, it's it's noontime where I am in New Jersey, uh, but um, I know that we're in many different time zones all over the world, but I am honored today to introduce our, our next uh, speaking guest. Um, this is uh, Arnie Klein, married to Yoni, and um, Arnie and Yoni and myself uh, were, were great friends. Uh, Arnie Klein actually brought, brought me into Times Square Church, and there we founded a, a, a special place of intercession where we gathered together for uh, a, a couple of years. And it was interesting, from that meeting, the Lord sent Arnie and Yoni out to become um, at the time, missionaries in Israel, uh, they are, are really the patriarchs of, or, or, or one of the patriarchs of, and matriarchs of, of 24-7 prayer in the land of Israel. And um, um, uh, Ani uh, has been walking with the Lord for many, many years. And, you know, if you, if, if, if you ever wanted to uh, taste a really good glass of wine, uh, we're going to have a choice vintage expression this morning, especially with what Ani is, is uh, carrying in his heart um, for these end times. And um, uh, I, I, I won't steal his thunder, but I will say that uh, they are um, they are leading um, a very special place of worship and intercession in the land of Israel that you most probably want to be a part of in the future. Hallie and I have been and experienced it ourselves. Um, uh, uh, Arnie and his uh, worship group really uh, move in, in new wineskin type of worship and uh, where there is just such love and liberty and and heaven expressed in in our midst. So, without saying any more, and I could go on for a while, um, Arnie, I want to hand it over to you just to share what's on your heart and to do if you would uh, give us some time to pray for you and your ministry or to lead us in prayer, however the Holy Spirit leads. Lots of love. Nice to see you. 
very special. I'm glad to be here with you. And hi, Ellie. Great to see you and dear friends from the UK, Jim and Sue Sochi, who are really close to our hearts are also on the screen there, who we've done many things with. They've been with, it, with us in Israel. We've been with them in the UK. And we look forward to them being here and us being there again now that we can uh, travel around a little bit more freely. <laughs> um, so much, so much has happened in such a short time. The paradigms have changed. And I think we'll say a little bit about what we're doing, expand on what Grant said, and but uh, I could describe the maybe the heart, something in the heart of of the burden that I, I'm carrying is over the years, last 20 years, we've, we've traveled pretty much around the globe and received many, many, many groups here in Israel. We live in Israel 30 years. We're married 53 years. We've been walking with the Lord 50 years. So <laughs> we, we've seen a few things. But I'd have to say about the reference to wine, I hope, if there's any wine here, it doesn't do to you what it does to me, which just puts me to sleep. Um, <clears throat> we've met so many precious, wonderful, sincere, bright, gifted people over the years. You know, being Israeli puts us in a bit of a unique position because of the way we get received. And <laughs> I don't go places that, you know, don't think that we have a right to be who we are. Um, and so many people have burdens to come to the land. So we get an opportunity to meet many, many, many people. Especially now in the light of the, and of course, I'm speaking from our perspective, quantum shift that has taken place in the world from which I'm comfortable to say I do not ever expect things will become <clears throat> what we once thought of as normal. In the light of the radical shift, radical, radical shift, as I look at the body, generally speaking, both near and far, I don't see a radical response. 
we don't see, don't hear from the body, how people's lives, how they live different, how they think different, how they relate different. Uh, I don't know. I imagine it's not a simple answer as to why that is. I come away with the thought to say, we're not getting it. We're really not getting it. You know, the burden that, that, that Grant and, and Haley carry that's expressed through the 9-11 ministry teaching. It's so simple. It's so clear. It's so foundational. It's so all throughout the scripture concerning the unique place in God's heart where Israel sits and the absolute pivotal dynamic of Israel in God's global strategic timeless plan and i mean we've been you know over over 20 years 20 25 years with this and i i kind of just scratch my head and say i don't get it lord i don't understand it why, why don't we as a body generally get it? Now, obviously, you know, I, in many cases, I expect that here I'm kind of speaking to the choir. Um, and, you know, except for the couple of you that I know and the ones a few of you that I know, I wouldn't be saying this to for you personally. Um, but I say this as reflective of the burden that I'm carrying and not so much to say, here, this is a message for you. Okay. So I hope you, you understand that. And that for those of you that do get it and do see it, and that maybe some of that burden would be increased in you as well. I, I was looking at, uh, okay, I was going to talk about this. I got a list of about, about seven to eight different different thoughts on which to speak, and I wanted to say something about that. But a little background um, that when we moved to Israel in 1992, coming out of Times Square Church, we had an understanding that Israel was the front line. It was the place from which God did everything that he was going to do. He says it. It's to the Jew first. Blessing and cursing. It's the only place where he's placed his name. He says, I'm not going to rest until Jerusalem's appraised in the earth. He tells us that 
the Lord won't come back until the eyes of Israel are opened. He tells us that the opening of Israel's eyes is life from the dead. I can just go on and on. So we came here feeling like the Lord was sending us kind of behind enemy lines to be sharing what we saw. Like watchmen, very simple. We're being placed on a front line where things originate from, are initiated out of. And that we had a burden to communicate what we were seeing to our brethren back in the States. <laughs> so um, we have a hand, we wrote a handwritten letter every week that I sent to Grant and from his office fax machine, he faxed it out to a number of people. I mean, we go back to having walked together like this in the, the very essential beginnings of, you know, our, our work. And this was our prayer team. These were the people that we, a lot of that back then was, was personal. And then over the years, it grew to be more, you know, situational, more big vision, spiritual. And really, my first five years in Israel were kind of getting acclimated, learning the language, which I'm, I can say, I understand everything I say. What other people say sometimes is a little bit shaky. And then the Lord spoke a word to us. Just dropped something in our spirit that we were looking for. That I think is fitting for an intercessory worship group of people to understand. We were in Tel Aviv in the area, and he opened up something that you know was in the scripture. If you look in the in the tribal um, listening in, in Revelation, the tribe of Dan is not there. The tribe of Dan is not not listed, and it caught my eye and. I started poking around to see what I could find about why. And it didn't take too much to see that, that the tribe of Dan was the only tribe of the 12 that never lived in its inheritance at all. With all of the others, they didn't cast out the inhabitants, the Canaanites, like God had asked them to do. But Dan, specifically, he was sent out by the Amorites and up to the north, where they wiped out a sort of very peaceful farming community, set up altars and led the whole nation into sin from there. And they were chased out from their inheritance by the Amorite, whose name means the speakers. Dan's name means judge, going along with the prophecy that his father spoke over him, that he would judge Israel as one of the tribes. And what we understood from the Lord was, in, in the light of the fact that what God is going to be doing in the world, he's releasing to Israel. He's releasing it to his people first. He won't give his glory to another. Israel's a prophetic nation, and he always reveals to his prophetic people what he's going to do. And, you know, you probably know all the scriptures that I know that support that. And he said, 
The inheritance of Dan, which was discernment, if you will, righteous judgment, discernment, was never released into the tribal council of Israel. And I think in looking around at the churches large, you go, hmm, while it kind of seems proportionally in kind of short supply around here as well. And that the Amorite had an anointing, if you will, as a Canaanite to basically, uh, you'll forgive me for not going into all the background of this, just twist speech, twist the meanings of things. The opposite of clarity of righteous discernment. And we heard the Lord say, the inheritance of Dan needs to be released and the spirit of the Amorite needs to be bound. And he said, and you can't do it. You do not have the commensurate unity necessary. Nor, I would add to this, the degree of personal holiness to be able to stand in the face of such a spirit. He said, the only thing you can do is make a place for me. When I come, that spirit will back away. That's a cornerstone, point, reference, inside understanding of what directs our entire life. The battle that we're in, which we're also very aware of, boils down to a simple description. It's light versus darkness. There's a scripture that's been very helpful in, in, in grasping the, this perspective is in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And it says, the prince of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers that they cannot see the light of the gospel in the face of Yeshua. And the, the Greek for the word blinded at two levels is ex extremely helpful in revealing. The first is, it means to make a smoke. So immediately I thought when I read it, oh, it's like the clouds blocking the sun. And to say, well, you know that, that gets remedied really easily. The wind comes and it blows the clouds away. And there's the sun just sitting right out there in front. The the deeper meaning of it means to consume slowly by self-conceit. So it's sort of like a, a smoldering, which is making the smoke, but it focuses on the, the root of that being a, a self-centered dynamic. So when we think of the battle, you know, there, there's so many points and focuses and issues and dynamics But simply, you know, that, that we found as the years have gone on, it just gets simpler and simpler. 
The more complicated it gets, the simpler the answer becomes, which is what the first thing you said to us back in 1997, said it's my presence. It's not, and there's a, you know, a nuance here and a fine distinction. You know, we've grown up through basically, you know, always been involved with charismatic. We, we spent a couple of years in a, um, a Nazarene group, but mostly it's been in a charismatic framework. Um, and our understanding is when God comes, the light comes. When the light comes, the darkness goes. They don't abide together. It's not to say we shouldn't pray specifically about things, but you might say what I'm presenting to you is what the Lord is, has given us, how he's specifically raised and directed us concerning the fact that the battle is too great for us. And it's never been, and I'm talking about the personal, okay, that really need to make a difference here, be clear. I'm not talking about personal inner, you know, struggles into separating from the world and, and, and holiness. I'm not talking about what's going on out in the world, the spirits that are blinding people's eyes. This is something that only the Lord can deal with. We don't have the authority. You know, this, this I'd say is, is also a, a difficult for me now, you know, you, you can throw this stuff out, but I didn't plan where we're going. So I'm just sharing you, you know, this is what's in my heart, um, being just simple and open. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Yeshua says, all power in heaven on earth has been given to me. And then he says, so you go and I will be with you. We found many people have come to understand and apply that verse in such a way as though he gave them the power and authority, which he doesn't say. He says, I have it. And if you do what I tell you, I'll be with you. And I will do it. And we've come to, we grew up in an atmosphere of asking God to give us so that we can 
And I, I've found it hard to imagine, more than hard, um, to think of power, wisdom, and all that we understand to be embodied in God as a thing that can be given. So on the other side of the burden for me is that people would, would get, that we would get it where we're not depersonalizing the spiritual reality and not relating to spiritual things as things or giftings and so forth. But it's him. He's looking for a dwelling place. He's looking for us to prepare a place, to be a place. Basically, uh, it's what will it mean? What in Revelation 3, where it says he's standing outside the door and he's knocking outside the door of the church. Why is he outside? Outside of his house. What's going on on the inside that's not okay that he can't come in? And to, to, to look at that and to see that, that reality and be gripped by it to the degree that we say, I'm going to sit here and I'm not leaving until I get an answer. Talk about being radical. To say, if I don't get an answer to this question as to why you're outside the door and, you know, maybe you would take ex exception with this, um, but from my perspective of our experience and what we see and where we've been and all of that, I say, generally speaking, and of course we're speaking generally and, and it's never about everybody. Absolutely. So to say, why is it that he's like outside the door? Lord, is, is there something in, in, in this house that I'm part of that's disturbing to you? that you can't come in because of. We jump to another image. We pray for awakening, revival, the outpouring of, of every single thing that we recognize is needful and proper and present when the fullness of the spirit is there. Okay, so we can talk about that in many ways and say, we're looking for new wine. We're looking for an outpouring of the wine of the spirit. Okay. Now to make that personal, it's it's not like, you know, imagine God sitting there and pouring something out. It's him. It's him coming. It's him being there. It's always him. It's never a thing. This is the orientation that we've come to. So what will it take for him to pour out the image of new wine? What will it take for the spirit, and here we are, very appropriate in the days before Shavuot. And what was going on in that upper room that allowed the presence of God to come and be Free, completely 
unrestrained. We'll answer that specifically in the light of what happened in the in the upper room in a minute. But first, to hang with the image of speaking of what we are all longing for as the new wine. In the verses that speaks about the new wine, it's pretty straight up to say um, you need a new wineskin. He's not going to pour out the wine into nothingness. It's not going to come. I mean, it just doesn't happen. You pour the wine out into something. It needs a container. It needs a container fitting to contain it. And if you do a very simple, you know, Strong's Concordance study on the Greek words in that section for new and new New, new wine and new wineskin. There's two different Greek words for new. The word for new wine has only to do with the age of production. It's the same thing. It's the same wine. And I'd say it's the Holy Spirit who's never changed. But the word for wineskin is new in the order of it's the same Greek word that's used when he says you're a new creation. You're not like, it's not the same thing. It's new in function. It's new in form. It's new in dynamic. It's new in nature, in its nature. Very simple by the definition there. If, if you take this image and it, it really helps to say there won't be the presence of the Lord won't come if we equate that with the new wine. He can't come without there being a new wine school. And it speaks, you know, I hear it saying the same. He can't come into the room. He's, he's outside the door and he's knocking, waiting to come in. Somebody to open the door. It's not about opening the door. It's a figure of speech. He walks through walls. So opening the door can only mean something about the inside isn't ready for me. That's at least the way I relate to it. So what needs to change? Now, if we understood the centrality of Israel, the uniqueness of what's been given to Israel that needs to be released, Grant wouldn't have to write so many books. Because it's it's very simple. It's really there. Yeah, there's a lot to say to help it, but mostly the church doesn't get it. And mostly we continue to depersonalize the spiritual things. Where our spiritual life is all about relationship and intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. I mean, it's a very simple picture to grasp. When the light comes, the darkness goes. And the Lord doesn't need to be invited. He's at the door already. But it's, it's given to us 
to come before him and say, I mean, put it as a question or you can put it as a statement in the sense to say, okay, is there something in my life and the way I live and what I'm doing? And even maybe more than, than our individual dynamic, the corporate experience that we have, is there something that's going on there that doesn't really relate to you and the way you are? And the radical response, if we understand that everything hinges on that reality, on that question, everything hinges on the presence of the Lord. That's everything. It's everything for our life. We've been around the mountain. We've been rich. We've been poor. We've been built centers of 50,000 square feet and lived in little boxes. And, and the only thing, no new revelation, but I just say it out of all of this experience, the only thing that satisfies is God's presence. It's not what we could do. It's not what we did accomplish. It's only him, 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 him. And if the wineskin was prepared, he would be in the house. And we wouldn't have questions and wondering... <laughs> So here's what we've been doing. You know, we've, we've had centers that we literally built and stewarded going back to 2000, gathering groups to come to present themselves as living sacrifices. Meaning, God, I, I'm, I'm not asking you for anything. I want to bless you. And I'm coming just to give myself to you in response to all you've done. And I'll tell you a story from, this is really at the very core of our heart life. In 1986, I was invited to speak to a group of seniors graduating from an Assembly of God Bible School. This is before we came to Israel. And having had no Bible training or such, you know, I, was working for the New York Bible Society. And in, in that framework, we ended up, I ended up being invited. So I asked the Lord, of course, what, what do you want me to tell these 500 graduating seniors who are going off to the mission field? He said, tell them about the most neglected mission field in the world my heart. And he went on to explain. He said, mostly my people come to me when they need things, when they'd like me to do things. Um, not just personally, not just speaking about, you know, God, heal me, deliver me, give me this, give me that. Think about anything, you know, for the for the lost to just God asking God to do something 
that most people, this is what he said, most of my children come to me when they want me to do something. He said, very, very few ever come and not ask me for something. This story of the broken alabaster vial and the oil pour down on Yeshua's feet. Um, just one second, I need to close the door here. Just keep that down up here, please. Sorry. Now, this, this is, all his boys are there, all his boys and all his girls, all the people that have been hanging around with him, they're all there. The three, the 12, however many could fit in the house, I don't know. And we all know the story really well. Nobody got it. Not one person in the room got it. And they all said the same thing. All they saw was people's need. Nobody saw him as a person. And he said, I feel neglected. He said, and it's not changed. This is the way it is. We grew up this way. Our, our pastor from the years back, we were at Times Square five years, Ron, I guess you came a little bit after we got there. So, but you were, you were there after we left as well. Um, Pastor Dave Wilkerson, he spoke, I don't remember anybody else speaking like this. He talked about how things made Yeshua, made Jesus feel. He really had a burden for God as a person and God's heart. And he really imparted that to us. Which was added to, I mean, I got this revelation about God feeling neglected the year before we came to Times Square Church. I happened for me in 86, and then we came to Times Square in 87, which is when David opened, opened the place. And he went on to say, you know, uh, there he was, Yeshua, in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to go through what he was about to go through. And he says to his three closest friends, could you guys like sit with me for an hour? Could you watch with me for an hour? Two of the three instances that he talks about them praying not to enter into, into temptation. But one of them, he just says, would you not watch with me an hour? And it was really meaningful. It really meant something to him. And he was really disturbed that they, they, they didn't, they couldn't, they didn't have a burden for it. And you say, what did he want from them? What were they going to give him? It's hard to get our mind around the fact that God you know, is saying, Yeshua is saying, I really just don't want to be alone right now. Could you just be here with me? So God made a point and, and we got it. And I shared this with the 500 students and said, have you ever? Maybe you've never, have you never come to God without asking for something? Now, that includes interceding for some need. Includes that. And it's not to say that he doesn't want us to do that. Oh, don't, don't ever take this out of context. He never said stop. Any of those other things. But he did say there's something missing that leaves me personally feeling neglected. So I shared this 
and said, perhaps you've never come to God just to be with him for no temporal anything, personal or otherwise. And if so, maybe you'd like to just tell him you were sorry. Um, what followed was a unique experience in all of my life. There wasn't one person left in their seat, not a single one. It was like something propelled them out of their pew into the aisle and onto the ground. This seeing God's heart is the root of everything. Seeing God, feeling his heart, ministering to him is the root and the beginning of everything. When I got what was really my, my calling. He said, he called me to worship at evangelism. And he said, worship is the response to my presence. Interesting. It wasn't what brought my presence, but worship is the response to my presence. Because you can't worship what's not there. And he said, evangelism, and I would take the liberty to expand that into speaking about horizontally, temporally oriented ministry. He said, that is the overflow of a life of worship. But the first point of everything, we're made for him, for him personally, not for ministry. Not to solve needs, not to help people. He created us for himself. And as we relate to him in that intimacy, he comes into the space we've made. And he does the ministry by his spirit, really, through us. I'll give you one other example, and it's, you know, um, there's no end to what we can say of relevance in this moment. But it has to do with uh, a comparative picture between Solomon and David, which exemplifies this. It's, it's a little bit tricky because, you know, you read Solomon's experience and it was many, many, many years before I took the time to really look into this and, and see what I'm going to share with you. Wow, Solomon, that was great. I mean, you, you didn't ask for riches. You didn't ask for a long life. You just asked for a gift from God that you would be able to rule his people. I said, awesome. And God said, Solomon, that's really good. So I'm going to give you the other stuff also. 
But then when we look at what happened to Solomon's life, you know, what's the mental state of somebody that has his nine that has, you know, 900 women, four or 500 wives and the other concubines? This is not a normal person. This is not an okay guy. And God says, don't multiply to yourself horses. Well, he did the same thing with the horses you did with women. He wasn't okay. And when he had the dream where God met him, he went and sacrificed. I think it was a thousand, whatever it was, in the temple, in the tabernacle that Moses had built. where the Ark of the Covenant was not there. The Ark of the Covenant was in David's tent. He went to sacrifice. The place where we had the dream, where he had the dream, the reason he went there was for the people and not for the presence of the Lord. And what he asked God for was, Give me so I can. And we really see the difference when we look at David's life and David's longing and the one thing David wanted. He says, I want to be with you. And then you can deal with all of the needs, but I'll be with you. That's the desire of my heart. May God help us to see Oh, yeah, 120 in the upper room. I need to go back to that. Thank you for the note. Um, may God help us to, to, to discern the difference and see where one is eternal and focused on him and the other one is temporal and focused on people. As good as it sounds, so very quickly, the dynamic of the upper room. So here were the disciples, and they had been doing all of the ministry stuff. They had been healing the sick and preaching the gospel already. And then Yeshua is resurrected and he's about to ascend. And he says to them, okay, listen, you know, you imagine that they're going to get their final marching guards. And he says that you're not ready yet. You need to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that the father is going to send you. Now, nobody really knew what that was going to be. They didn't know what it was going to look like. And they didn't know how long it was going to take. And he didn't leave anyone in charge. They were all there. And nobody knew what to expect. Nobody had any direction. They were all in an equal plane. So they were before the Lord without a plan and without a program. They were before the Lord without somebody who was speaking to them on God's behalf. And when it says they came into one mind, one heart, were in one accord, that was far deeper than an agreement on any dynamic point or issue. I mean, just imagine what happened in that room. So Peter, who was this, you know, loud speaking, boisterous, you know, whatever he was, 
and look at where he went. Um, and you can be sure, we can be sure that the people in that room had something to say to Peter, who were kind of upset with his uh, bravado. And then it came to what he did in denying the Lord. And they had issues with him that, that needed to get clear. And then the other one I think of that's you know pretty out there in your face is, so James and John's mother comes to the Lord and says, hey, can when you come into your kingdom, can my sons sit at your left hand and right hand? And you imagine the indignation with everybody else looking at that and going, lady, are you kidding? What? What chutzpah do you have? You're asking? And then they turned to James and John and said, and you were quiet when she said it? So this is the kind of stuff that happened in the upper room. And it went and it went and it went until this is how I take this. I give you a little bit more dynamics from word studies and things, but I'll just give you the bottom line so we can we can end because I'm probably beyond whatever time I had anyway. Um, where they ended up, and this is what how I would define, suggest we define true one accord where you look at every person you look at and what you see coming back is love and acceptance such that you're free, we're free to do whatever we feel led to without having a question and a wondering that what's somebody going to think they're not going to accept that they're going to judge me. You don't have that. See, that's what it's like to be a child because children don't think that. When he says you need to become like children, this is one of the dynamics of that. We need to have that kind of freedom and acceptance with people where we can look at each other and each one knows that the other one has completely accepted them and said, you love me, you receive me, you see me, you know my heart's after God. We all know we're imperfect. You're not going to judge that my motive was wrong, that I was trying to build my own kingdom, which is the big important thing. The dynamic of the upper room that was the place for the Holy Spirit, as I've come to understand it, is there was nobody in God's seat and the people were all in one heart accepting one another. And the structure, when we talk about new wineskin, I'll say this one thing comparing the old to the new. And I think it's, I'd say it for me, and just kind of just really being open, don't know what you all think and where you go and what you do, that the structure that we've grown up with for all of the years and most of the congregations is pyramidical, man-centered, authoritarian. It's not a round table. It's not a headless body. It's a body where somebody is acting like the head. And I believe that God is saying, well, when you get over that, I'll have a place for me to go. Primary consideration for the new wineskin is God himself is the one that we're all looking to. We've been part of a worship ministry and musician, and this I'll close with this. It'll give you a real example of it. So for seven years here in Israel, from uh, I was what was referred to as a worship leader. 
That meant I chose the songs in the congregation, chose how to start them, what key to do them in, what the temple would be, and everybody looked at me. And what I did, they followed. And then the Lord called us to build this center. We had a room. The room was 200 square meters, so it was 2,000 square feet. That nothing happened in that room except vertical ministry to the Lord. Nobody preached. Nobody talked to even one another in that room. It was all as though he was actually sitting in the room. So we start this, and some people were involved, were people that were also part of the worship team in the congregation. And the Lord said one day, you know, I, I would lead playing guitar. Uh, but I also grew up playing wind instruments and a little bit of percussion. So the Lord said, put the guitar down. You can't be the leader anymore. The people can't look to you to know what to do. The drummer, the bass player, the guitar player, the singer, the violinist, the dance, they all need to learn to look to me and to take their leading from me. So I told this to the team. I said, look, okay, here's where we need to go. And it took a year of our being together just before the Lord ministering to him in this big room with nobody in it most of the time for people to get comfortable with understanding what it looked like in this musical team framework when God was the leader. Now we can understand it and approach it musically. It's a little bit more complicated to relate to this on a more of a human congregational kind of level because of people's thoughts and identities and different stuff. But we have to get there. We have to get there for God to be comfortable in the room. So, good place to stop, brother. Yeah, Ani, close us, close us out in in prayer, brother. We need to, we you know, we need to end uh, right before the end, top of the hour. So, you know, just uh, Father, yeah, okay, Father, thank you for the moving of your spirit in this hour. Thank you for bringing about a great reset in your body. Lord, just acknowledge your hand in these last days, whatever it might have looked like, sounded like from the outside. Lord, we acknowledge. I just want to acknowledge with my brethren here your absolute sovereignty and goodness in all of this and that your desire in it all is to bring us to the place where we would be a suitable dwelling place for you. And I pray for all my brethren here, precious friends, those that Grant has been with, and I know what you've placed within him and what he carries, Lord, that all of them would hear your heart and your voice and would see you in this intimate place personally, caring for you, even like the woman that poured out that alabaster vial, knowing that you will come and minister to the needs of people, but that we would first have you in our heart. Lord, you need to do this. Your word needs to come to speak it. It can't be done by the words of a man or by the teaching, but it's got to be your spirit. And I pray for all those that have sat through these moments today that this would grip their heart. Yes, come on. 
And if it doesn't, that they would seek for it to do that, because to this we were created. Blessed be you, Father God. We worship and love you with our whole heart.